0: Hello and welcome to Bold Leadership. I'm Colin Pooler, your co-host, and along with Cabus Reed, we're dedicated to the discussions of leadership. We have entertaining conversations on the challenges, learnings, ups and downs, and fundamentals of leadership. Our podcast involves interviews with people across the spectrum of business, public policy, community, athletics, and across a whole range of ages. So enjoy along with us, every guest, and every conversation we have. Laugh a little bit, and don't worry. You don't have to be bald to enjoy it. Today's guest is Kate Denanzio, athlete, senior partner, and chief change officer at Helios Consulting. Listen as we have discussions about leading change in any organization.
1: Did you tell Colin my nickname?
0: No, I never no, We No, we, we actually... We actually restrained ourselves from the because like, you're <laughs> going to start You're just going to start digging idiot. but
2: we we have a lot of time where we've traveled together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, I mean I need to find out all your secrets. That's 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 what I'm hoping I can't for tell you yourself. where the
2: bodies are buried yeah, Colin. Don't be silly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs>
3: this yeah, is, it's confession
0: you. time, folks. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I told you she was my favorite. <laughs> Firecracker all the
2: way, boys.
0: Yeah. Oh man.
1: Well,
2: <laughs> well, it's good. It,
0: it, is, uh, it is good. it's good to see you guys.
2: <laughs> yeah, likewise. This is going to be a finally, lot of fun.
0: Finally finally connected. So, um uh hey, uh ladies and gentlemen, uh, welcome to another edition of Ball Leadership uh with Colin Cooler and Cavis Reed, and our guest today is Miss um, Kate Denunzio. And um, Kavis, can I introduce her? Because I was like, I was, I was scanning websites. I was talking to friends that know you, Kate. Um, and and I'm like, oh, okay. And. Um, uh, it, so from the, from the W uh, WNBF, I, I've got a, a couple of friends that, that that compete as well. So it's like they knew your name, so they're actually really anticipating this uh, this session. But um, so so Kate's a senior partner with Helios, Helios Consulting, uh, and is the chief change officer, and uh, also runs her own business called uh, the the Art of Progress. But um, the things that i thought were pretty pretty cool uh you you you're, you're talking on everything in, on my heart here uh play football you played for the rage uh the awesome you were you were a linebacker yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i used to try to run around you people
3: <laughs>
0: you people you people <laughs> <laughs> you people geez, yeah yeah you, you people cuz you guys gave, you, you all gave me headaches and stuff so um <laughs> And also oh, competing in the World Natural Bodybuilding Federation, and, and I were you a judge there as well, Kate? Did I you... wasn't. I was a promoter for
2: Winnipeg of all places. Oh,
0: okay, yeah. okay, cool. And and uh, I mean, I I've listened. I I've listened to a couple of your a uh, couple of your podcasts, the Pocket Change podcasts, and I uh, I just I just listened to the most recent one here, like just in the last day here, and I thought okay. Samir was fantastic.
2: Oh, um, right, mind blowing.
0: Yeah. And he was an economist too. I don't, i normally, I kind of go, okay, do I need, need a nap now? But he was, (laughs) I, I thought he was fantastic. I made some notes on him, but anyways, welcome Kate. And, um, so, first thing I want to know is, I want the stories on Kavis. We, we didn't.
2: <laughs> I was going to pin your brain on other things,
0: but I really <laughs> want to know about K.
2: <laughs> well, you know, let me tell you the story about how, how Kavis and I met. So, I, I'm over in Regina, and the CFL Combine's happening, and I'm over at the event, and... Um, You know, it's my my wife's birthday. That's all she wanted. She just wanted to go to this combine. You know, happy wife, happy life. So Mm -hmm. we go to this combine. We're seeing all these big boys running around, running around. You know, you see these grouchy other GMs. Well, I won't name drop. (laughs) You know who I'm talking about. (laughs) Not very well appreciated or liked. But, uh, you know, and so I'm like, well, no, I'm not going to talk to that one. And so we get in line and and I turn around and there's Kavis. And I was like, oh, I'm going to tell this guy who I am in the media. And I'm like, no, this man can do the job. I know who this person is. I see that energy. And so, uh, you know, Aaron at that time was competing at, um, like she was preparing for, I want to say the 2017 Team Canada trials, and because my wife is a two-time silver medalist on the IFAF world stage for Team Canada's women's tackle football, she was oh, there wow, in okay. she was there in the inaugural in 2010 as a running back. They nicknamed her the fridge, the Coke fridge, because she was in all red, and she's just a she's a big chick, man. And then uh, she got called up from the reserve list in 13 in Finland. She got a re- call up. Um, I want to say two weeks before and they brought her up as a running back. And when we got to camp, they went, Hey, actually, would you like to play O-line? Never played a rep of O-line in her career. Started above women who actually made the team for O-line. Like incredible. So, so as you can see, football is a huge piece of who we are as a family. It's part of our identity, and, and you know, it's how we met. And so, you know, she goes, that's Kavis Reed. that's Kavis Reed." And I was like, oh. So he's like, oh, well, let me buy you your sandwich. And I was like, well, fine, I'll just go screw myself, Kavis, thanks. <laughs> so <laughs> so I said, wait a minute,
0: he, he bought you a
2: sandwich? He bought my wife's sandwich <laughs> well, and about, let me pay for my herself. own.
0: Hey, you, you've never bought me
2: a sandwich. Not, Colin, you don't have enough blonde hair. I was just like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's the <a> ticket.
3: <laughs> You're bald. You're bald, <laughs> man. All
2: right, so, so I'm jealous
0: I, to start off with, folks. I all all hate right.
2: the sandwich, though. <laughs> My wife is. I bought my own sandwich and then I had to pick out the card for her soup and her pop. And mm. so I'm like, okay, whatever, right? So I says to him, hey, you got a business card? And yeah, so he's at a combine. So he pulls out this stack of business cards that's three inches long, held together by an elastic band, and hands me one. And I'm like, all right, you don't know what you just did. Because in my world, as a consultant and just as a general out there kind of gal, I have this theory and it's called no asky, no getty right? So mm-hmm. if you don't ask for something, you're never going to get what you want. And so um, I get back home and I wait a day or two and I'm like, okay, I just can't sit on this email anymore. So I, I write this ballsy email. <laughs> I am Colin, I mean, I write in this letter, I have something that no one else in the CFL has and you want it. And so Cavis was like, really? And I said, yeah, I said, let me know if you want to have a conversation, I'll come out and I'll, I'll fly out to where you are and I'll come and see you. And he goes, Well, you know, and I said, no, just tell me when's a good time. So he gives me a date. I book a flight. I fly out east. He, he, he meets me. He, we, we spent what a weekend together, three or four days walking around the streets of Montreal, eating food, feeding homeless people. The end of it all, I scared the crap out of him because I went back to my hotel room and I built this strategy. And I said, if you do this, you will be successful. And he goes, I got to worry about draft right now. He goes you hold on to we'll talk to you next year. I was like, all right. So I go away, and we're back and forth every so often—a text here, a text there, whatever. Yeah. Then I get this phone call from him. It must have been the o- October twentieth, yeah. and he said, "So you ready to pack your bags up and say uh, kiss your family goodbye?" And I was like, "I I, I could get on board with that." And he goes, "He goes, but you know, he goes, I want you to have time with your daughter for Halloween first, and then we'll get you on a plane." 31st happens, that kid goes out, does her trick-or-treating. November 2nd, I'm on a plane, and it's a one-way ticket. I get this ticket from Kavis' executive assistant.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You might buy a sandwich, but you're cheap, man.
2: (laughs) (laughs) You're walking home, Kate. (laughs) Use that blonde hair for good. I'll bring you out there. You figure your own way back. Yeah, yeah. So, so that was that was it. And and I'm. Can I get, like? So I get there, and it's like we are under the shroud of darkness. The shroud of darkness, because Cavis is using me for what he can see the value of change. And so when you have t- you have change, right? You have change management, which is just ticking the box, using your little toolkit that you got from your pro size certification oh. when you went to the and you ate those half Danishes and those stupid <laughs> little cups of coffee. I'm sorry. A third of a cup of coffee is not acceptable, and it, well, then they come out and they give you your little toolkit, and you're like, "Look, I'm a change manager," and it's like, "No, no, you're a human with a toolkit and the personality of a tube sock. <laughs> like, you're not a change manager. Like, whatever, right?" But then there's change leadership, and when change leadership is done well, it is what I call ethically Machiavellian. You are sneaky as hell, and it's all for the right reasons right? Because there's a time and a place for everything. So Kavis is like, oh, I can totally get on board with that. I go in under my maiden name. <laughs> so nobody knows there's no social media for my maiden name. It didn't exist back in, the, in those days. I, and I l- just love my new Last name, I've kept it, even though I'm divorced from the guy that I got it from. But it's just right. Then right.
0: <laughs> no, you sound tough. I mean, there's no question. I thought football player. Did not. I mean, yeah.
2: Oh no. I, right. I,
3: yeah.
2: Right. So, so he hooks me up with this email account, and he sits me in an office with one of his trusted allies, and he says, "Don't tell anybody who you are. You're a scouting data analytics consultant." Mm. could you That's, maybe give me something I know anything about
3: that so sounds
2: I kind
0: of, is, that, is that a real thing <laughs> <laughs> it was <I> then.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so he, he sits me in this room with one of his friendlies and people are kind of looking at me and they're trying to figure it out and one of the guys who's a scout who's not a very good person is kind of like he's, he's kind of like what's going on here kind of whatever right and I says to him he goes so what does it mean to do this and I says to him so I had just done a huge implementation of the Office 365 suite for an, a multinational company. And mm-hmm. so I was like, well, have you ever heard of Power BI? And bleh, I just barf out all of this training I had to do for Power BI. And this guy was just like, put <laughs> 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 this woman out of my door. And that was it. They never uh, talked to uh, me again. It was No awesome. more questions. You no. know I,
0: That was is great. a good trick. I, I, that is a good trick. I, I don't Man, clearly I'm not smart
2: enough. Anyways. In, 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 our, in our company, we call it dark ops. And mm-hmm. I get actually I get sourced for dark ops quite often because when you think about large organizational change or you think about really shifting a culture, you have to be able to draw that intel out. And you have to be able to understand what the culture actually is doing versus what you want it to do. And I think this is where a lot of change management tends to fail is that they take somebody who is a change manager, but really it's like their big bird. All they do is talk. And there's no value to somebody going in because what happens is everybody who is on the offensive goes, well, I don't want to talk to that person because I know that they're here to do something and I'm going to be a loser in this whole process. And so, like, this is where that ethically Machiavellian piece comes from. Like, I've actually built a week-long program to teach project managers and BAs and technical people how to do dark ops. It's literally called dark ops. This is a
0: complete lead undercover
3: operations (laughs) oh yeah
1: oh yeah it was so the the impetus of it is is that i wanted the culture to change in montreal there were a lot of systemic issues there are a lot of cultural issues that were just manifesting themselves And we had an older team they were setting their ways we weren't winning and things had to change and i'm the new guy in town and essentially you wanted to be a way of getting them on the championship course. Now, what Kate didn't tell you is one of, the, one of her biggest projects, which she's still working on, is I said to her, you have to fix me first.
3: <laughs> huh.
1: That's why right. the one-way ticket. <laughs> <laughs> you, you may, you may, it may take you a few years, but you need to help me see where I'm weak where my blind spots are Mm -hmm. and how I can get better if we're to get to this particular point that she laid out and you can take it from there.
2: (laughs) Well, and, and, you know, it was, it was, it was a, a, literally it was like a blank check because it was like, see the deficiencies and help me find the, the, the gaps that need to be plugged. Right. And really when it comes down to it, it's, you know, making sure that you're not accessible to everybody. Like I said to Kavis, like, you know, if you're, uh, we have a saying that I use in the, in the firm all the time. The man who chases two rabbits goes hungry. What's the priority? Who's in the organization who could handle it? And that was one of the things that we really worked on was how do we align the football operation to actually have functional support so that Cavis didn't have to be involved in absolutely everything? Because that was where the downfall happened. When you're responsible <sighs> for everything, yeah. you deliver nothing.
0: You, you've you've nailed, this is fantastic because you've nailed many people. I mean, and I, I've done this same thing <laughs> and I've had to lo- learn and grow is, you know, often you, you, you get, as you grow into leadership or you, you start getting these leadership roles and you get into a larger organization in particular, you find yourself often doing a your old job and your new yep. job. Yep. Uh, and B, you try to end up doing kind of what everybody else's job is, mm-hmm. yeah. rather than taking the step back, assessing, of course, what needs to be done, but then empowering, We're doing the work behind empowering others. It's not just, oh, here's a magical word, and 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 setting up the setting up the trust. Because the reality is, you just burn, you just burn right, until there's nothing left and you know it has all sorts of physical manifestations psychological found manifestations hits things at home uh you know been there done that (laughs) and and then uh and then and see the path that got me there and then i could see the patterns for others and and we end up having these same conversations so kate um tell me more (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> well, you know, really, this is where, you know, Kavis really empowered me. Like, he just basically said, here's your carte blanche. Here's an assistant that you can use. Here are the people that I need. And tell me the people that I don't. And it was really interesting because the there were people in the organization who were just walking on this high level of, I walk on water. I can do no wrong. And the problem was is that Kavis didn't have the ability to actually penetrate and create that vulnerability and that trust. And, you know, so... So like you think about that trust equation, right? And that trust equation is credibility plus reliability plus intimacy, all valued over your own self-orientation. And Kavis is fabulous at putting everybody else ahead of Kavis. So that self-orientation is oftentimes pushed right down, but those people aren't able to breed trust because they're not credible, or maybe they are, but they're not reliable, and they're not willing to forge an intimate connection, right? And and that emotional connection that we have with people allows us to create the vulnerability. And only once we till the, till the ground with vulnerability can we plant the seeds of trust. And so, you know, there were, I, I remember sitting in that, in that in that office with with our our friendly and people would kind of poke their heads in and kind of move around and we even had like a i think one of the the bigger coaches roll in and he looks at me and he's like oh hi and he like rolls out and i'm like like would you just come in here to sniff my hair like come on and so well and so, hey listen
0: if you didn't have hair you need it to be a problem,
2: it. <laughs> so. So, so he, he rolls out. And it was funny, because the other thing that uh, Kavis and I had been working on was the, um, the actual prospects of the people. And Kavis gave me a list. And he said, here's your list. Find me more. Scour North America. And tell me, I want to know what is their partnership capability and their ability to stay in their lane. Right. So those were Kavis's two requirements, my requirements and the matrix that I built was all around the the foundational pillars of resiliency, which are problem solving, empathy, emotional regulation and self-confidence. And where we see in football, the biggest breaches are going to be in emotional regulation. We think we can treat people badly because that's just the history of the sport. Problem solving, if you have people who don't understand critical thinking because they've had someone who's dragged them along their career, I see it all the time. We see a whole bunch of football players and guys who I said to Cavus, these guys are not going to be on your staff because they're not for you, right? And we see those guys coming up and they're taking major positions on teams and they just simply don't have the chops to actually do it, right? And so Cavus hands me this list of people and he says, go ahead and, 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 and do your research. And I stayed in that little corner hotel room for two and a half days. And I just pulled information and I did a comparable. And so I was looking at um, a cross section of a whole bunch of different things. I was looking at their Wikipedia because that's somebody else's opinion of you, whether it's fact or not somebody has taken the time to write that about you. I'm looking at the film of them and how they participate on the sidelines. I'm watching film on how they interact with media. I'm reading stories on what their players say about them. I'm reading about their community involvement and I'm making judgments and saying, you know what, based off of what I can see in this person and across this entire cascade of information that I was able to gather, these people are really worth our time these people are going to be out of our cost range because they're so worth our time. And these people are people that we should consider. I had one look, I looked at this one guy's picture and I said to Kavis, we are not interviewing that man. Yeah. Yeah. I looked at his picture and I said, no, we're not doing it. <laughs> and, and Kavis was like, why? And I told him and he was like, okay, done. I, Cause he's not a partner. You can see it. He looks like an adversary in the pictures. All of them. He just looks like, he looks like hey, that's remember that, true. <laughs> that really grouchy Eagle from the Muppet show. Like he just like, <laughs> Ornery. And so based off of that, then we shortlisted and we started planning our Canadian tour to interview these guys. And of course, it had to be staggered because we were dealing with the rules of the league and we wanted to make sure that we were on the up and up with that. Mm-hmm. And um, then... In, in addition to that, I developed a social strategy where I actually had embedded people from around the country who are football fanatics and experts in that space watching all of the Twitter feeds so that we could pull in early information if people were starting to talk when they shouldn't be talking, if we had people who were spreading rumors and gossip. I had like, I had pretty much a whole bunch of troll accounts who were controlling the narrative of what it was that Cavus and I were doing so that the social perspective wouldn't be weighed.
1: I have to interject here because this is a critical part to tell you how smart she is. We literally could have walked candidates to the podium, and no one knew. No one knew. No one in the organization, except ownership and the president, had an idea who we were even interviewing, and one other individual. We literally, about what twelve o'clock at night, you said, "Oh yeah, let's just go ahead and throw a couple of names out." So people can <laughs> so they completely yeah. no one knew like it was the first time in football and I said to ownership, we're gonna prove to you that we can actually keep a secret and it was the first time At a, I think it was around 11 12 o'clock he said let's just throw out. A couple of names because it's going to be announced tomorrow anyhow.
2: So. so we did. We we threw a couple of barbs out onto social media. Tagged uh, the uh, the really heavy CFL happy accounts. I tagged a couple of really gossipy guys who write for some of those rag mags wow. online, and we we let them bait and we just dragged some stakes behind our four wheeler and let them run. <laughs> and it was
3: awesome. You 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 bad man. <laughs> Oh, okay. Hang,
0: hang on a second. Hang on a second. I've never looked myself up on Wikipedia. You got me wondering.
2: <laughs> I am, I'm wondering. I need to look myself up. For me, what it's all people, football. What do people say about me on Wikipedia? And you know what was really funny is the the one thing was was when we actually started executing interviews we were very early like it was very early where i was like no 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 we interviewed we interviewed an nfl coach and he comes into the room and i'm like cavis that man wore keds to a job interview what grown man in his 50 a is wearing keds and who's wearing them with a suit Stop it. (laughs) Like, that's an indicator. But you know what? Then I also look at that coach, and he came from an organization. And I was actually talking about this with my family when we were watching the KC game on the weekend. He was a coach who was present when that young player came to the stadium and died by suicide in the parking lot. And you know what the biggest indicator to me was? He couldn't remember the man's name who died. And I said Uh, to Kavis, he is blacklisted because he doesn't care. Right?
1: Wait. The interviews were very efficient, Colin. I can, uh, I won't reveal names, but there was one individual that got three minutes in the interview, (laughs) and and he wondered why we took him to lunch so early. He thought he had a job. Well, and
2: and and we, and we. well, and we, we also, like, we interviewed some of these guys, and, well, then the strategy was, we would do the interview, and we had one person by FaceTime, cavus was in the room, and I was typing. I type about 90 to 100 words per minute, so I type verbatim, like a stenographer, and uh, man, some of those guys were very offended. They thought I was a secretary, and cavus would go, so, Kate, did you have any questions for them? And uh, I'd be like, nope, that's good, and they're all, like, nervous and whatever, right? We had one guy who, one guy who brought, he's like, 60, and he brought a. Letter from his college football coach talking about how great of a player he was. I was like, "What?" <laughs> right? Oh man! So,
0: so, so, Keith, you were, what you're describing to me is a complete cultural overhaul. This isn't this isn't a subtle. Let's let's take a let's turn the wheel and hopefully over time the ship will turn. Right? Like mm-hmm. this was this was a, a complete overhaul with a sounds like a very compressed period of time to be able to make that shift. Very. Yeah. Right? So, you know, there are, there are times organizations need to make these very urgent changes. Sometimes we, we talk about using, you know, burning platforms and all this stuff to get people the impression that, or to, to understanding that, Hey, there's, there's something really wrong. But what you're dealing with is a situation where people maybe not didn't necessarily think that there was anything wrong because that's no, just the way that they've always been. Yeah, I,
2: they, they, that... were, they were compl- they were complacent. They were complacent and complicit to doing the wrong thing and they were rewarded for doing the wrong thing. At mm-hmm. no time should a general manager not be able to have a conversation with somebody inside of their football operations in a confidential manner and expect that it stays in those four walls. That should just be business.
3: Yeah.
0: You would have seen this in other organizations too. These kind of, I'm just going to call them play out dis- dysfunctions. I don't, you know, not yeah. to, but these are dysfunctional things, but these happen everywhere.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah so,
0: they, yeah. In, in your work, is this is this a space you're normally, or, or, or is Cave is just unique?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm using the word I mean, unique. <laughs> a euphemism for it. <laughs> screwed up. <laughs> well, I, I, think, I think what it was is that Cavis was able and willing to take the risk to buy into the opportunity. Like, he was able to see down the field. And this is, this is what you get when you have a visionary at the wheel. When you see mm-hmm. somebody and you know somebody who can see the picture that you're painting and can say, you know what, I can't see all the details on the Mona Lisa's face, but I can see that it's going to be beautiful. Right? And so... That where, where we find it in, in, in organizations and corporations, some of the larger ones particularly, is they, they have pockets of toxicity. And so what ends up happening is um, people oftentimes bring me in and they use me as an antidote in certain areas. I had a, I had a client um, in 18, well, known 19 and 20, 18, 19, 20, that did a technology implementation and it was moving their ERP to the cloud. Which is, I mean, you think about that, they're a national organization. Um, they have probably 15,000 employees at the time, maybe give or take. And they moved their, their, their platform or they were planning to, and they phoned me and they said, hey, um, do you want to come in and, and manage our change? And I was like, sure, when's the go live? They're like, oh, in about six weeks. Sure, I'll just prepare the 5,000 impacted stakeholders for their whole ERP to move to the cloud in four weeks. Like that is ridiculous. But what it actually came down to was they did it with a whole bunch of broken processes and a really, really, really disgustingly messy landscape. And so when they did it, they actually ended up cratering their, their shipping and receiving for four weeks through the holiday season, right? Wow. It was okay. it, it was really it was quite tragic, and so I was in a very small component. They brought me in through the technology stack, and what actually happens is once I eh, I, I always tell people I'm kind of like a tick, like I just get in there and I just burrow my way through until I find where the problem is. And so with this particular organization, what I was finding was that it was their supply chain where the where the the issues really were, and there was a lot of toxicity inside of that supply chain. And the reason was they had had a very large volume. Voluntary departure program where they had made a, an offer to about 6,000 people to voluntarily leave the organization and uh, about 50% of them took it and so what you saw was massive amounts of knowledge walking out the door and as you would see with a lot of organizations and you know guys I'm sure you can see and understand this very few people actually write down what they do they come in and their niche in their swivel chair activities and they do what they need to do and it's not documented. And so as these people started to leave, you started to see even greater fractures within the organizational structure as well as in the operating model. And so delivery became very challenging. Then what happened was their warehouses were hit because a great majority of their warehouse workers said, I'm, I'm good to take the payout and I'm gonna vamoose. And so we had a huge amount of grief Taking place in the organization at the same time as all of these very large scale changes, and so we have we have custom workshops that we deliver. And the number one, and this is one that you know Cavis and I have actually um, delivered as well is called the resilient leader and what it does is it lays down the foundation of the change management practice what is it and how do i internalize that as a consumer or um, somebody where change is actually happening to me and then from that point we go through and we create a, a really foundational understanding of those four pillars of resiliency and give people a toolkit in order to be able to process and proceed through it this organization was they, they were rocked so hard that the supply chain vice president allowed me to do a Canadian tour. And in that company alone, they consumed the resilient leader 19 times, right?
1: And to, uh, to that uh, point, once we revealed <coughs> who Kate was to start implementing, one of the brilliant things she did is the entire organization became a part of it. And Kate, if you don't mind uh, taking us through, uh, and she thoroughly took me through the change curve. Um, do you mind to, for the audience as well, going through that curve of where you're gonna expect turbulence, where you're gonna expect resistance mm. and then people are gonna start to accept and you start to come out of it? Or would you mind going through that? Because for me, you've seen it before in textbook, but the way she explained it and living it as well, helped me as a leader going through this change to understand the emotion and the process that's going to be involved. And when I hit those turbulence, we sat down and talked, we talked through it, and everyone else was a part of it as well. But I thought the most brilliant thing she did was when we got to that reveal, everyone in the organization was then a part of this whole program and had individual time with Kate as well to work through this curve. So I'll I'll let you go through that uh, if you would, Kate
2: yeah and you you know that it, it is um something that's really relevant right and this is where things like the um this is where things like the um the pro side program actually discredit and take it away from people being able to experience it and you know there are other organizations where I've been um consulting at the same time and I'll walk into a boardroom and they'll have all of their models pasted against the wall and it's like The client never needs to see the science unless the client needs to see the science, right? I I wanna always be an artist. I wanna take my tools and I wanna paint something that's really beautiful. And so when we think about actually going through that change curve, we have this this instigation of change where something is changing and we start to feel it. Then we go into shock and loss where I can't believe this is happening, I'm going to lose something, there's an impact to me. And so this is where we now start to apply other layers of science like the, the levels of resistance. And resistance is a very natural thing. Um, It it happens to everybody every day whenever we come into contact with something that stops us from executing what we, we think we should be or what we want to be. And so as soon as we start to see people coming into shock and loss and anger, what happens is we start to say, okay, well, why are they feeling this way? And how can we actually get them through that curve as quickly as possible? And so when we look at those levels of resistance, we have a level one, which is I just don't understand it. So that's addressed with communication and inclusion, right? Then we have a level two, which is I don't like it. And i always like to disclose to people i'm a level two change resistor all day every day almost 100 percent of the time and that's just because of how i am and how i'm wired i need time to be able to see myself in the change and understand how that's truly going to impact me then we have our level three and our level three change resistor is um somebody who doesn't trust you i don't trust that you know what i need or what is important to me and so when we think about We get down to anger i love anger anger is my absolute favorite spot on the change curve like and i tell people this all the time and they're like what do you mean a i'm a conflict resolutionist i'm a mediator i think conflict is a really beautiful thing it drives change it drives um, awareness insight so we take that conflict point and it, and you can see it. That's what's so beautiful about it is because people are like, eh, snotty texts and little snotogram emails, and mm-hmm. I'm mad, eh, right? And they have these little temper tantrums. And and so what it does is it allows you to actually be a leader and jump into that sidecar with them and say, what's going on for you and how can I make this better? Or maybe you're a toxic person and you shouldn't be a part of the organization. Maybe your your time has overrun, right? So once we come through anger, We come into that hanging and bargaining point, and that's where people become, you know, they get really mopey. You start to see presenteeism. You see absenteeism. You see people who are disengaging and prioritizing other things. You see people who are maybe having water cooler talk and back channeling. And, you know, then we come into that depression and despair. And this is where people start to see failure points, where they their changed memory really becomes a valid piece of what their existence is. I've been here before. We're never going to get through this. Uh, I've seen this song and dance. And, and this is when I when I think about the process that Cavis and I took football in general had never experienced what we were doing. Never. I can say that without a shadow of a doubt after having done it, because the responses I mean, there were coaches who walked into the room and were generally like, I'm sorry, she is a girl. Why is she here? And it was like, well, who's she? The cat's mother. My name is Kate. And it's great to meet you. Also, I will be helping informing this decision. So, you know, but, but then when we come into depression and despair, if you've really done a good job of, of addressing the needs of people, of having a, a well-oiled strategy and the ability to pull people forward, what happens is you start to pull them into early engagement. And I'm going to tell you, I will take anger over early engagement any day. Early engagement is uncomfortable because people are critical. They are sometimes very snarky. They are going to look at a document and they're going to say, oh, you used a semicolon when you should have used a colon. And it's like. Oh, I'm going to thin right now with that. <laughs> No wonder than why You're experiencing it. And you know I'm like, it, I'm going through a negotiation.
0: That's exactly, that's,
2: yes. Exactly. And you know what that is? That's early engagement. That's somebody trying to put their fingerprints on what it is so that they're a part of that change or they're a part of that negotiation or that conversation. I see myself reflected in the content. Right. And so once you get to early engagement, that's where we get buy in. And I'm I use the term buy in very loosely because, um, you know, people use the term buy in like you can just run down to Safeway, grab it off the shelf and then sprinkle it on someone's lunch when they're not looking. And we we know that's not the case to get somebody to that level of support and um, the desire to be a part of the change, to take action, which is our final step on the curve. we need to really put a lot of effort into that we need to put a lot of recognition into that we need to make sure that we're listening sometimes more than we're talking you know those those workshops that i did those 19 workshops um most of them were in the field some of them were in the corporate office some of them were with finance some were with supply chain some were with other groups um but when i look at the opportunity that we created, we went in and we said to the, the teams on the ground, we said, what do you guys want to do in terms of a start, stop, keep? How can we make this environment more hospitable and enjoyable to be around as opposed to just coming in and executing in a really crummy circumstance every day? What does that look like? And Do I believe that those leaders took everything from the start, stop, keep and implemented it? No, but sometimes all we need is to be heard and especially through the change curve. And so, you know, again, it's, it's, there's a model and it's great. You can show it to people, but when you're having a conversation or a coachable moment with people to say, Hey, you know, I really feel like you're sitting in the bottom of the change curve right now. What do you need to be successful? How can I help you? What does that look like? That's powerful.
3: Uh, Kate, I know you're laughing at me. Turn on your mic, man.
2: <laughs>
0: just laugh out loud at me, because I'm just, I'm just absorbing this. I'm like, I, 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 I don't even. This is, this is, this is awesome. I told you it was brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is awesome because I'm like, man, I got, I, I could go in about forty different directions with, with questions for you, Kate. I, I I'm, uh, uh, so, so, like I so said, this, this is absolutely fantastic. Like. One of the things that I was I was hoping to get, and, and and I I mean, you're doing a lot of what for for me would be the kind of the the right hand support to the leader who's got you know they they have a vision, they have an idea where they want to go, they could kind of paint a picture loosely, right? Yep. The the outline, and uh, they recognize that they may not have the either the I say the team ready or the right team members, perhaps, um, yeah. or they themselves aren't necessarily ready. I mean, there's lots of times we see things in our future that we go, hey, this is where I want to get to, but I may not be fully prepared. I may not have taken the, uh, gone through the growth necessary to be ready. When a, when a leader, and and I, I know you've been using Kavis as an example on this, but when a leader begins to recognize that, should they feel how should they feel in that moment? because lots of times you know a lot of us who get in leadership, it's pretty easy for us to beat up on ourselves and say hey i don't have I don't have all these tools, going back to what you know kind of the opening comments here, I don't have all these tools to be able to do all
2: these things myself Mhm mhm, yeah, you know, I think. I look at things very differently, right? When I see a deficiency in my leadership style, for example, because I mean, I I do leadership every day, all day, but there are days when I reflect back and I go, man, I really don't feel like I supported my team as well this week as I could have. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot of self-discovery and self-realization within the change process that takes place when you're driving that change. Um, it comes down to how authentic are you and how humble are you and humility is an enormous part of leadership because, and, and I say this all the time, it's one of my favorite sayings, if serving is beneath you, then leadership is beyond you. And this whole, you know, this, this servant leadership mindset that came about several years ago, it's been beaten to death. But the the bottom line is, is that people are not servant leaders. They're not, and they're not humble. They like to think they are, but they're not. and, it's because, you know, I I always say to people like, actually, let me tell you a story. I, I got pulled in on this merger and acquisition and it was with an oil and gas company. And I sat in the transition team meeting first day. Uh, and I'm sitting next to the CEO of this company, who's a billionaire here in Calgary. And, um, I'm sitting with all of his, his, his guys around the table. There's more money in suits than I think I probably have worth my cars. Right. And so I'm like, okay, cool. And, uh, So they're talking about this and they don't have a strategy, they don't have an approach, but they're kind of onboarding, if you will, some of the people from the company that's being acquired. So we're going to have a town hall and we're going to tell them about the company and um, we're going to invite them to just kind of be a part of this experience. So I said to the CEO, I said, I'd really like to be there and just to kind of hear the messaging and see where you're going, what's the vision? And he looked at me and he said, well, you're not speaking. And I said, I don't know what you do. Why would I speak to your people? Oh, okay, so fast forward a couple of, of of weeks, or not even like a week, and I walk into the room and there's all of these people, and they're just buzzing. and so I'm going to stand by the door. I'm not an employee. Let these people sit down and hear what is coming for their company, where this is their future. And so I'm standing by the door with my business partner, and the CEO looks at me and he's looking around, and he's doing this, and he looks at me and he goes. Hey, Kate, come here. And so in front of all of these people, 300 people sitting in this room, I am traipsed across the front of the room and I'm like, yeah, what can I do? He's like, I don't have a slide turner. And I went, oh, well, how, <laughs> okay. I said, well, how, how can I help? And he goes, can you sit at that table and just turn the slides when I give you a nod? Yeah, I'm pretty sure I can handle that, right? So I sat down and I'm like flicking the slides and I've got the timing down, but he's still looking at me. Oh, yeah, I got you. Like, it's fine. I'm, you know, pretty smart lady. I can pick it up, right? And uh, so at the end of it all, we're standing there talking and he's like, yeah, that was really good. Literally said nothing about the merger or the acquisition. What he did talk about was how successful the company was and where their, their oil and gas plays were. And, you know, he gave them a lot of information about who the organization was, but not what was going to happen to them. No next steps, no like real discussion. And so, okay, to each their own. Right. I mean, Mm -hmm. I, I don't necessarily agree with that approach because those people probably left feeling more vulnerable than when they walked in the door. Right. Right. And, And so I'm standing there and he was like, okay. He was like, well, thanks so much for your help. My business partner who's holding my purse comes walking across the room and hands it to me. Now we have people around us like flies to candy because they think I'm his executive assistant. (laughs) And I'm like, like this lady's like, you did so good. I'm like, like, what is the standard of performance here? (laughs) You know, I did this. (laughs) <laughs> but, you know. but,
0: but Kate, everybody knows the executive assistant is the most powerful position in an organization. So. Everybody knows that.
2: And you know who's more powerful than the executive assistant? The change leader who comes in and pairs up with her. Because you know where we come from? We come from being executive assistants. Right. That's where I started. I started as an actually I started as a receptionist and it is how agreeable are you? How friendly are you? How much information can you get out of somebody in an elevator ride? And can you remember the name the next time you see them? And if all four answers are yes, guess what? You're going to be very successful because you care.
1: Kate, and when you talk about humility and leadership, uh, the the delicate balance a lot of leaders have to uh, to uh, manage is. You you can be humble, but you also don't want to show weakness because yeah. there are those opportunists that will take advantage of it. Can you talk about that balance in terms of exercising true humility, but not showing that weakness that others may might in a more nefarious way try to exploit?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It it is a fine balance, and you know it's a fine balance for men, but let me tell you, it's an even finer balance for women because. My, my kindness often gets mistaken for stupidity, and um, I can tell you that is the last thing I am. And so it, it, I think really what it comes down to is, A, knowing yourself and knowing what your boundaries and your limitations are, not trying to be the expert in everything, right? So, Colin, that kind of comes back to your earlier yeah. question is I don't have to be the expert in what an engineer does. I have to be an expert in what I do to make what an engineer does effective right? And so when we think about our boundaries, it is how frequently are we communicating with our teams offline? Are we doing dinner, suppers, drinking and um, doing things that maybe would diminish our credibility and our ability to actually be influential in our leadership, whether we're humble or not? Um, You know, I see that all the time. And so I think the number one piece in terms of being able to be very humble and be yourself, but still be effective as a leader and not get preyed upon is to speak your mind with tact and diplomacy, is to be very concise. Do not use wishy-washy words. Use very concrete terms. I don't like that. That's not what I asked for. That's okay to say to somebody. Remember, when we think about the the methods of communication, how we choose to conduct ourselves, and Kavis, you would know this as a negotiation expert, right? How we choose to show up and what our body language says, that is 57% of our communication. And so I'm, I'm doing an event in, in March in Edmonton, and one of the things that I'm talking about is how we manage our internal dialogue and how we display it on the outside. We each have three different personalities inside of us. We have the wise man or wise woman, We have the bully and we have the little boy or the little girl. And if you are a humble person and you're communicating with little girl energy, you are going to get treated like a little girl every single day. If you are um, a humble person, but when you get into conflict, you let that bully out guess what? You're not going to get the results you want. Mm -hmm. It has to be the right element of the wise woman or the wise man with their arm across that bully and let the eyes flash every so often. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's, it's communicating with the right internal dialogue and expressing that and displaying that in the way that you will.
0: You, you just, you just reminded me of a, of a saying that, of all people, Dolly Parton, who's a brilliant businesswoman, <laughs> said, "Right, and it was, and she said her father always told her and taught her, like never lose your temper, use your temper, yeah, and 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 it had to do with this moderation of of being being very selective and being sure that you were you were um, communicating in a very defined way, people understood where you where you stand on an yeah. issue, but you're not really." angry but you've got to show something at certain times so that people are aware and will will, will mentally
2: connect yes absolutely and, th- and that that's the body language is that 57 mm-hmm. the other the other major component is the 36 percent is your tone of voice right how you choose to emote yourself and put yourself out there is very very important seven percent of what your communication is is actually the words you speak you 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 lose somebody almost instantly if your body language is wrong you lose them instantly i mean you people have daughters you know what that was like when they were 13 and 14 years old they were horrible little human beings but they weren't right and like i remember my daughter she's like nine years old i know mom and i was like oh is that how we talk to each other now and she's like oh yeah come on child (laughs) and you should see her now I think
1: when you, you talk about the, the methods of communication and how we carry ourselves as, as leaders, is that not also indicative of the energy that we portray in the organization in terms of how we carry ourselves? One of the things we discussed in terms of, of, of my kind of changes, not always making yourself super available mm-hmm. all the time, but also not showing when you're tired not showing when you're fatigued, versus just taking some time and be rested because your body language will bring down, your fatigue will bring down your organization. Can you talk about how that kind of, or your frustration with dealing with ownership or dealing with a a partner or dealing with someone above you in, in terms of how you bring that back to the team and not displaying that kind of negative energy that you may be experiencing?
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, such a great question. You know, we call that the boardroom energy. It's at the bottom bottom line, end of the day, when you're a leader, nobody actually cares about what goes on for you outside of those four walls of that organization. And they shouldn't have to, right? I mean, yeah, we all want to have empathy and love and care and consideration for each other. But at the end of the day, we're the one who sets the tone. And so showing up and looking presentable, being on time and in, in the space. Like we, we teach people how to treat us in that space. And in the absence of fact, perception is reality. And my reality is always right until you show or prove otherwise. And so when we think about it in those terms, what we're, what we're really looking at is how we choose to show up every single day. And what that energy says is so important. I come out of a meeting and, um, you know, I did two days of facilitation this week and I'll be honest with you, it's on a, five-year strategic roadmap for maintenance technology in a large multinational company and across a diverse group of people where we're in ideation phase for a portfolio. I wanted to cut my own throat, but I can't show that to them. No, you guys, they're like, you get a bunch of IT people in a room, they're like kittens in a yarn factory. They just want a solution right and so and so you know but I I actually on on like what was it it was when Thursday night Wednesday night I wrote in my journal that night my goals for tomorrow are to be patient to be kind and to not let them know that I want to cut my own throat right like literally wrote those words in my journal and like that's my that's that's a me problem that's not a them problem
0: right You're, you're trying to bring the sage out
2: by not getting their you own throat, yeah. Just bring the sage up. I, I get yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. And it, 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 but you know, it, it comes down to the fact that these people are passionate, and so then I go down the, the purpose of what's their why? Why are they behaving like that? And so as a leader, when I can have empathy for somebody else and see it from their point of view, my energy automatically changes because I want to care for them. I want to cater to them. I, well, not cater to them, but I want to really facilitate them to be the best versions of what mm. they can be. I mean, I designed a two-day facilitation within seven hours which is like unheard of normally one hour of content is eight hours of development right depending on what it is that you're trying to do and so i pulled this together super fast for them socialized it four times and then had to re-socialize it for like 45 minutes because they were like well what does this mean and i was like did we not like you were part of that conversation for like two weeks ago, right? Like, you know, but then I have to look at what's, what else is on their plate? How are they trying to scramble? What are the deadlines? What are the expectations around them? And why is this hard for them? So my energy can't be contributing to the frenetic nature of what they're going through, because then I'm not adding value as a consultant. My value add as a consultant is that I'm like Switzerland. That's what I tell people. I come in, I don't have an opinion. I always have an opinion. Um, But, you know, at the end of the day, my my job is to make them better. And so, how do I do that? It's how I choose to show up, and only I can control that, right?
1: And, and I have to say that energy was infectious, and um, I'm going to give her credit where credit is due. The implementation of the change is not because uh, my name was on it, but the brilliance behind it, it's i'm very proud of i am extraordinarily proud of because the amount of change we had to create in such a short window was not going to be um, possible without kate's kind of professional and strategic direction and the organization instantly um, there were compliments from the owner when she met the owner they never got a report that uh, that well written well documented Uh, we could see the, the lanes People were changing lanes with their signal lights on instead of bumping into each other. Uh, they understood their roles. There were there was clarity in the organization, and I won't get into details in terms of the number of things we did and how we did it. But her imprint still is on that organization, and we could almost pinpoint the moment when we felt like we were a championship organization. Um, that's why I felt so so passionate about getting her on here to talk about it because. I can pinpoint the change and how it almost as if the sun rose over Nagasaki after the the atomic bomb was was dropped on it. And um, so, compliments to UK, done the the brilliant work that you did. I uh, admire, and respect the work you do. You're you're a brilliant individual, and you are
2: humble. And uh,
1: I know you. you bench press far more than I do as well.
2: <laughs> maybe, maybe right now, We're, like I mean, squat and deadlift for sure. <laughs> leg press all day (laughs) thank you you know and 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 with that you know it was it was the the runway though and this is where these relationships are so key and critical like when we talk about bringing a change person in it is literally what I classify as the back-to-back I have to be back-to-back with my primary sponsor and client to make sure that while they are doing the the movement and and creating the space for me to go no one is going to run up behind them and club them over the head right and and so there is there is a very very deep trust that comes with the need for how a change person uh, or change leader could actually really be in their most effective space so without kavis's ability like to give me what i needed uh-huh. in terms of running i wouldn't have been able to be successful but you know i will also say though we did when we did our resilient leader we were very innovative in challenging these the the, the staff both coaching and operation staff we broke them down we we made them have conversations in terms of what was their best scenario and what are the things that are going to set them off that are going to stop them from being successful and and believe it or not they made vision boards These guys had never in their lives picked up scissors and tape and paper and pens and created something that was really crafty. We did crafts with these guys. We built bridges out of popsicle sticks. We gamified it and we turned it into something that they had never experienced. And we gave them the ability to play and have fun and be a part of the process and tell us what we needed to know to make them successful. And that is a huge piece. And not every leader lets me do that.
0: Well, the, the, the thing that that, I, that really impresses me and I think that listeners um, should be really impressed with is, you know, Kate, what you've just said is that the, 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 the foundations to be successful in this space is really the support, the collaboration and the full trust of that senior leader who says, I'm, I'm willing and I need to be vulnerable and trusting and that I'm looking for help. I need help with this and I'm going to partner with you to get this to get this through and and um without without that i can't imagine that you'd have anywhere near the the level of success in an organization because it's just they would essentially sabotage it
2: (laughs) (laughs) they do do. absolutely and and it it comes down to how humble is the leader that you're serving and how bad do they actually want the change
3: so so that's a
0: that's a, a critical factor then Right. Humility. And we talked about it before, right. And, and um, it's like uh, the, the Patrick Lencioni's book with it, you know, uh, the hungry, humble and smart, right. Yeah. The people smart and, and, and that, you know, that, that team player to be a, a team player with you, they've got to possess that humility, enough humility to make this, uh, to make this work. And um, I don't know if I told you this, but I, but <laughs> I think it was like, this the second day when I got after I was appointed CEO, I, I was, I was there to address the whole, the, the staff, you know, everybody there. And, and it was awkward. I didn't really have a speech. I just kind of showed up and I didn't really know what to say, but I, I said something that was stupid, but I kept my notes when I wrote it. And it was like, I've got such a big ego that I'm willing to put it aside to get a bigger one later. And, and people wrote it down <laughs> like, Oh no, no. But, What I was trying to say, it just didn't come out the right way, is that I'm I'm okay putting putting things aside here. A because I didn't the organization was a black box, the role was a black box to me. I was completely new. Any success I was going to get was going to be completely uh, based upon what what we could do together because I didn't know anything and. You know, you, you talked about this, you know, the 57%, the 36%, and then the 7%, which, you know, I'm glad that you said that 7%. You talked about that because I'm not that smart. <laughs> 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 Kate is smarter than me, but uh, <laughs>
1: I don't know yeah. how much more smart. <laughs> no, I'm bolder, but <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. To that point i think one of the things we, we forget in leadership is that we don't have all the answers
3: mm-hmm.
1: and before king goes to war he or she has many counsel and when you surround yourself by people smarter than you uh-huh. or more equipped in an area and you're not intimidated your leadership becomes more effective and effective leadership is what everyone should to strive for because you're cultivating talent you're cultivating an environment and you're trying to produce a result yeah. and bringing someone in like katie that has an understanding at a level and has an experience with different companies this is a multi-million dollar company that we're talking about here in a football team but one of the biggest things that we are working with and a, a lot of organizations work with this is we're working with egos.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: these people are elite people there are very few of them on planet earth So naturally ego comes with it and those multi-billionaires, there are only a few of them on earth and naturally an ego and a sense of entitlement sometimes come with it. And also they're very fragile people that need their ego stroke. The brilliance that I also found was we found a way more so through Kate's uh, strategizing is found a way of understanding that their ego is okay. And how do we, utilize that to get them to conform to a team change environment. And I don't know if you have any uh, more you want to say on that case because I think that's very important. You get engineers in a room, all of them have experiences, they have their PhDs, You get <laughs> IT people and everyone has the answer. How do you use their egos, but their energy to get them to in a collaborative situation?
2: that is uh, another great question and it it is um strategy it's being prepared and it's being able to provide the time to listen and understand what's important um i find consensus really helps and i always make a joke like consensus is an 80/20 i mean 100% of the time my ideas are great 20% of the time okay kavis is right right and it's you know and and so you know i think it comes with it also comes with Establishing the fact that, you know, and I think we did this very well is and we did it well because people could see it when we had it all written on the wall is yeah you guys are really elite in football and you're really elite as a, as a coach but guess what I'm very elite in what I do as well, and so when you bring the best. To be able to participate with the best and they see that they're getting a value, that's where you start to get really good contribution. And you know, I've had clients where I, I did this one job, and actually Kavis, I think I was finishing that job up before I came to see you, um, or vice versa. I can't remember, but anyways, it was around the same time frame, and um, they, were, they had trampoline parks, and that was probably one of the hardest jobs I've ever done, because their leaders were all ex-military. And they were blended. We had infantry, Navy, and Marine. And the Navy guy and the Marine guy hated each other, right? Big shock, right? And, you know, and, and, and I look at that and building credibility amongst those people was difficult because they were not professionals. They did not know how to keep confidentiality. They did not know that You know, like there was just so much deficiency in terms of their professional capability. And so we had to level a team of 25 leaders up very quickly in that space. And so I think it's very situational depending on where you are and what the industry is, because, you know, even you you go and you go into, um, you know, say an Ardennes or like a a clothing store and you're going to be going in to do like maybe a consumer project the 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 capability of the people to actually understand what you do without being intimidated is very very important and that's where i i come into a room and i fill a room like my energy is big like you guys want to talk about big D energy, <laughs> right? So, and, and I know that about myself, but listen, boys, I don't glue hair to my face for my benefit. I do it for your benefit, no, right? So it's also how you present yourself, right? If, if I walk into a room and someone looks at me and they go, well, she looks dumb. Well, just wait until I open my mouth. If someone looks at me and they say, well, she looks like she's a powerhouse. You're absolutely right. But you know what? I'm also a very kind person. I'm also a very good active listener. Um, and, you know, so the skills of me as a leader bring out the best in other people. And so that emotional intelligence and that social wherewithal of being able to read a room when you walk in is one of the most powerful things as a leader that you can have. And it is not, it, that does not come from reading books. People love that. I just did an MBA last year. I did a little mini compressed one. And wow, there were a lot of very smart people in that class. Period. Wow. The the, the I mean, like. <laughs> They read really well and they they speak very well. Um, and okay, I'm just going to leave it there because it's, you know what I mean. It's like just because you have academia doesn't mean anything. And it, 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 I sat in those same classes, man. Man, How did you guys see each other there. Oh Lord. Although I got to tell you, I got the way this professor who was, he was finance, and so it was compressed through UBC. And he was really cute because like all of our lectures were video recorded. So we had to like watch them before we went to class. Right. So he was, he was like the epitome of finance professor. Like he had this rusty little hat head, like his hair looked like a Brillo pad and he had these little tiny glasses and he wore like uh like a shirt that you would see in like a Peanuts comic, like a Charlie Brown shirt. And he had this little cookie duster mustache and he was a ginger. Right. So it was all rusty and red. And he would be like, all right in our next vignette we're going to do this and then at the the next one he would be like writing on his little ipad and he would look at the camera and he would go i'm really enjoying this and i hope you are too like okay mr Dressup, i'm not it's finance i'm here for you know but it was like so there was like these crazy personalities in the faculty as well and so i was just like i'm just gonna sit back because you know i'm a bit of a an odd one out in this particular circumstance right and they have these hr classes and they show this video from brene brown on empathy with these foxes and you know an animal falling in a hole and like it's a cartoon right and i was like it's great that you're touching on it but i think we should have maybe spent a little less time talking about some of the other things and really making sure that these dish rags walk out of here with the ability to execute on the information that you've just given them right and you know no i mean i'll be very honest with you the people in that class were phenomenal they were kind they were caring, they were compassionate, but there were some very, very very tone deaf people in that program and you know we get put into these little groups, and I have, of course have like you know every english person in the in the group, which is fine because I mean my business partner's English and you know all all over from from uh the u k and a couple of other guys and our we we all got a group chat on whatsapp and so you know we would get broken out into these groups and like we would have these odd guys who were the dish rags, and the little whatsapp chat would just light up because it was like the meeting during the meeting of these people like i can't believe that guy just said that i just went head to head with this one and i'm like i'm not i'm not invested you guys (laughs) like i'm here to learn and gtfo right so, you know, I, it really all comes down to the situation. It comes down to the client. It comes down to the, the, the capability to connect with other people. So it comes back to that trust equation, credibility plus reliability, intimate connection, all valued over your own self-orientation.
0: Well, wow. I, Kate, I, 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 I'm just I'm watching the time here. And I, I, I you know, want to respect your time, too, but... Um before before we wrap up there there are there's two things well one question that we that we always have for everybody and and i want to make sure um we want i want to make sure to give you some runway on this one and uh uh but before i even do that okay this is the reason why i wore a tie today (laughs) i I knew what i was getting (laughs) so i probably will bow tie look nice (laughs) this is like kate's coming on Kate's coming on
1: you're
0: not going to be one fun. of those dish rags. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to look smart. I'm just, not, I'm, I'm, if I can't be it, I might as well just try to look at it. Make it right? Fake it till you make it, make, it, it, make, right? make it. I'm just going to, yeah, I'm just going to fake being smart. <laughs> yeah. No, can okay, okay, for real, I actually, I actually have to go to an award show. I'm not receiving an award, I have to give one out. So I'm not bright enough to receive one, but they'll say, hey, you can give something nice. To, to so I, I did dress up for that. So hey, I have to Kate, be honest because that that's important.
1: Hey, Kate, this is the guy that's gotten numerous awards in the last six months, like. I, I think every provincial and every national award, I think he's, he's, <laughs> Amazing. Humble. he's humble. So the question but, he's about to ask, I think we know the answer to you, but you might have yeah, it. <laughs> yeah, no, I know, but, but I, I would,
0: I would like, I would like you to take another run at this. Cause I, I, I think I know what your answer is going to be, but I am, I, I we're, we are certainly Every person we've got, we've had on the show. We've, we've, asked, we've asked this question and, um, because it's, it's, it's one of the things we want to leave as an, uh, as an, as an impression on those who are listening. And, um, if there was, if there was one characteristic or one attribute of that, that you think was the most important in in leadership that you could choose, if we were to to build, if we're trying to build a prototype of a leader, the prototypical leader, what, what would be the most important attribute character asset, what would that be for you?
2: Mm. It would be all-encompassing emotional intelligence. Because when, when you think about emotional intelligence, it encompasses your resiliency factors. It encompasses your ability to navigate difficult conversations. If you are emotionally and socially intelligent, you will be successful as a leader.
1: She man. shocked us. She shocked us.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: There's a there's the mic drop, right? Oh man, Kate, thank you, thank you so much. I I uh um I I don't know if you if you remember Jamie O'Kidajou, she she's a bit a uh, competitor and, and and uh uh yeah. a WNBF Pro. She was so excited yeah. to hear that I that we were interviewing okay. today. And uh, oh, I, I see that. her almost every day, <laughs> and um, uh, so she she's uh, uh, she was really excited. So the folks in Regina here, there's going to be a bunch of people going to be listening because she she shares our podcast with everybody.
2: <laughs> That's wonderful. Jamie's a she's a gem, just
0: yeah. a gem. Yeah, absolutely wonderful. So, um, hey, Kavis, I'll, I'll let you I'll let you put whatever dusting you want to put on the on it before we before we go.
1: No, it's just, uh, Kate talked about a lot of things, and I think she articulated exceptionally well, as she always does. The art of change is an art and a science. And I think as leaders, we can't be afraid of change. And also often we get very comfortable in situations and we may mope and groan about it. We may see the need for change, but we have to be active as leaders. We have to be willing to say, this needs to change in order for us to continue to grow. Because not only organization relies on that, not only the results of the organization, but those individuals involved in the organization, the organisms around the organization, rely on us to make the changes when necessary. And getting outside external help is somewhat of, not somewhat, but usually very important because there are things we won't see. Mm -hmm. The profession that Kate's in and the work that she does and, and people in her industry are extremely valuable to any organization. And I will encourage any leader to seek external consultation when they're looking at change and they don't have all the faculty and facility to be able to make that.
0: Kate, if if somebody wants to get in touch with you, find you on the internet, what do they look up?
2: Uh, you can go ahead and hit me up on LinkedIn. I'm very active on LinkedIn. The other space that you can go to is our website, is heliosconsulting.ca, and there is a link directly embedded in there, and also in every one of my articles where you can just click, because we have a saying, reach out, a call doesn't cost a thing. Awesome.
0: Thank you, Kate. Really. By the way, we would normally say stay bald, but you just keep your hair. It looks real nice. <laughs> stay bald (laughs) thank you for listening to this episode of bald leadership if you enjoyed the show please follow like and share see you next time